Yeah, Derek McGlush. I know I said that a little bit wrong, but I, I gave it my best. Uh, no, that was perfect. Uh, cool, man. Uh, Marine uh, Exploration. I have a show on uh, Discovery Channel, uh, Cooper's Treasure. Uh, congratulations on that. All the shipwrecks. You. You've done so much. Uh, and you kept at it all these years. Yep. Been a long time. So what, what originally got you into it? I, I think I read you started when you were 14 with your father. You, you kind of started to get into it because it's a family. Like your father shipwrecks as well too, right? Yeah, he kind of uh, – I wanted to be a rock star and a professional surfer, and he pulled me away and said, Daryl, I need you to help me on weekends. And I go, well, I want to go surfing. And he goes, well, look, let's take the summers. You can bring your surfboard. Let's go treasure out, and you're a good swimmer. I need a diver. And I said, okay. And so that's how it started. And um, uh, once we did a project uh, in the San Sebastian area near Cape Canaveral, um, that was our first project. And then we did several others. Uh, we worked on the Atocha with Mel Fisher. Uh, and then we did another project after that kind of fell through. My dad and Mel didn't see eye to eye, but they were friends for a long time, but they didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. Um, so we moved to Turks and Caicos and started looking for what uh, my father thought was the Pinta from Columbus's shipwreck. Turned out to be uh, Columbus wreck, but it wasn't the Pinta, it was the Fraile. Yeah. Uh, for everybody to know, you know, like there's 17,000 different stories of what Columbus did and what he didn't do, at least. Mm -hmm. What did Columbus actually do? Well, he raped and pillaged all the <laughs> local indigenous people. <laughs> all right, that took narrows everything down. they had, you yeah. know, and, and, and he established a footprint in the new world for the Spanish monarchy, and he made his fame doing that you know realistically that's what he really did that's what i thought i just wanted to hear from you <laughs> yeah. one thing that caught my eye you've done so much is that uh gordon cooper you know the astronaut went up there he had so he was in outer space and he could see or there was a 55 year old uh treasure that was seen from space well, when Gordon was practicing to be an astronaut, he used to, he befriended a bunch of treasure hunters in the local area, one being Kip Wagner. And when they were practicing zero buoyancy, that's how he had met Kip Wagner. Um, they would go to the ocean and practice diving and all that. He became really good friends and started uh, a partnership with him. Uh, and he worked with the Real 8 Corporation and they dove on shipwrecks together. And that's how he got interested in it. In fact, he brought a bunch of coins from the 1715 fleet off the Treasure Coast up into space with him. And he had the idea, well, while I'm up here, I might as well see if I can identify what I would assume to be shipwrecks. And he knew the Spanish thoroughfare, so he had that well mapped out in his head. And then he just wrote down coordinates. And he also, um, he knew which islands he was flying over. So when he got back to Earth and you know, got his accolades for his uh, space flights. He put together a sea chart and then marked all the areas that he suspected there might be shipwrecks. And he put together a sea chart, and that was the sea chart that was part of the show, Cooper's Treasure. How unbelievable is that? 
If I was him, I would have retired that day, and I would have found people to go. Forget going out of space. I'm finding these pressures. Yeah. That's it. I'm yeah. done. Well, he did. He did. He followed up on a lot of those, but his partner, Kip Wagner, died in 1972, and then that kind of ended the uh, the mission for him at that point, and he, he, he did still go out and do other things. He was the first guy to discover the Olmec civilization in Mexico. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And that, he actually discovered that in 1969 by sheer accident, looking for a shipwreck. And uh, they went ashore. They got dropped off in the ocean in a seaplane. They were getting attacked by bull sharks, so they swam to land. And they were asking the local um, farmers for help. And the farmers were saying, okay, you know, they, they barely spoke Spanish uh, either because they were Mayans. And then um, he was asking them, well, what's in these caves that you guys are working over? And he found out that those he, the, the Mayans said, don't go in there. It's, it's got ghosts and it's prohibited to go in. And he goes, okay, well, let me just check. And he goes, well, if you want to go in, you can go in. And he found out that that was an Olmec civilization wow. stored in three different caves wow. off the Yucatan coast, or not the uh, Veracruz, near Veracruz, Mexico. Wow, Pulpa tattoo. Uh, and while he pulls up tab two, I mean, you have to wonder this more than anyone. You know, we go to outer space, we do all this other stuff. Why in the world don't we put time into going into the deep sea? I mean, who? there might be more down there than there is up there with the technology we have right now. Well, according to Gordon, there's a lot of technology. They've done a lot of research, although they haven't done near as much as they will tell the public i don't you know it's kind of hard to say because the water pressure is a lot harder to work with at deep depths than even space and so that made it very difficult especially back in the late 60s and in that period yeah and and here's uh, a little clip that we found mm -hmm. that's in campeche And this is from the show, correct? That you're you're filming on Discovery? No, that was a show that I filmed for Discovery. Okay. I'm filming a new show. I'm doing a new show now. Okay. And that's him there. Wow. Uh, and that's us looking for a shipwreck near Mexico. What are the depths of these shipwrecks so people kind of know? How far down are some of these? Oh, they're really deep. They average about 20 feet. 20 feet? Really? Yeah. yeah. I, I was joking. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I was like, what? It, it, no, it truly is shallow waters because when you think about shipwrecks, they get pushed against uh, shallow reefs okay. and they sink. So most shipwrecks are in very shallow water. And then how does it work with... Um, you know, I've heard the stories like, you know, people finding buried, you know, sunken treasures. How far off the coast do you have to be where it's considered not, I don't know, like it, it would, you can claim it as yours or, you know, the government can't say oh, like that's airspace, ours. Like, like how airspace. does that work? Yeah, it's, um, it, <clears throat> it's called international water lines and yeah. uh, the territorial waters of each country extend out 
uh, on average is three miles, sometimes it's 12 miles. Uh, and then they have what they call economic zones. So if you fall within any of those three categories, you have to uh, apply with that particular country. However, if you are lucky enough where you can find a shipwreck in international waters, you just go to an admiralty court and you file a claim that you found something interesting that you want to salvage it. Uh, you file that claim and it takes about a 90-day process. You have to advertise the, the find in a periodical or a newspaper. And if nobody claims it as theirs, you become a legal custodian to that uh, wow. shipwreck. Wow. That's a, that's a whole thing there. And then uh, Gordon, he was, what, one of seven that was part of the Mercury Project? Yeah, that's right. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. <clears throat> and then later on, then uh, you and Gordon go and find rockets with NASA that are coming back from space, right? Like you go find them. Well, and my dad did that for after he met Gordon. Uh, Gordon um, managed to get him a job through NASA collecting spent booster rockets. And if oh, he man. identified where they were in the ocean, then they, my dad would get paid to do that. So um, that was something my dad did. I, I'm sure Gordon went with him a couple times, um, but I was really young then. We're talking early 70s. And I used to go out on the boat with my dad, but uh, you know I was only seven. Yeah. You know, in, in in 1970, I was only seven, so I mean I was really young. And then it wasn't until I started getting older, uh, at the age of 14, my dad invited me to. Well, it didn't invite me; he forced me to go with him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I didn't really want to do treasure hunting. It was not my interest. I didn't, I didn't find it fascinating because I knew my dad, when he was doing it, was such a strange business. And I saw him and my mom arguing a lot about it. And, you know, and, you know, it was a, a very, I don't know. It's a business where there's not a whole lot of honest people in that business per se. And it's modern day pirates are there. So it's pretty risky. And, uh, you know, it's pretty cutthroat. And so my mom was really nervous when he brought me with him. However, it ended up working out. And we did have a lot of close calls with pirates, if you want to call it modern day pirates, and uh, managed to survive. And here I am telling my story all these years later. <laughs> when you talk about that, the modern day pirates. I know, I was just going to say that. Can, you know, we, we, think of, <laughs> we think of pirates of the Car uh, Caribbean, right? You know, uh, Jack Sparrow and all that type of stuff. But. <laughs> Explain what that means. Like, there's people on ships, right, that are coming, and they'll kill you to try to get the gold or whatever you have. Explain that, I guess. Well, yeah, if you're if you're working in an area and you become visible and you have a salvage vessel, like if you have the gear that salvage vessels use, uh, they can identify that probably because they're familiar with it, and then they want to. Um, they they either try to befriend you it, it could be a myriad of different uh things that could happen to yourself but uh, a lot of times they'll just try to steal the shipwreck from you or anything that you may have depending on how desperate each one of those persons are and some are more dangerous than others mm -hmm. so and today you still have that problem um i know that the 1715 fleet they're still a bunch of treasure hunters out there that work that still today and you know each one is looking at the other one and talking <laughs> badly about it. it's it's a weird business they're it's very high school you know they talk they, they're very nice in parties but when it comes to 
actual work ethics, none of them really have any. Let's face it. After a night with drinks, I don't bounce back the next day like I used to. I have to make a choice, either a great night or a great next day. That is until I found Zbotics. We all have busy lives these days and can't afford to waste the day stuck on the couch because of a few drinks the night before. Zbotics is the answer we've all been looking for. Zbotics pre-alcohol probiotic is the first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut, where you need it most. Just remember to drink Zbiotics before drinking alcohol. Drink responsibly and get a good night's of sleep to feel your best tomorrow. Order Zbiotics now for your summertime barbecue, weddings, vacations, you name it. Go to zbiotics.com/mscsmedia or scan the QR code on the screen right now to get 15% off your first order when you use MSCS Media checkout. You can also sign up for a subscription using my code, so you can stay prepared no matter the time or occasion. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money-back guarantee, so if you're ever unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, head to zbiotics.com/mscsmedia. Use the code MSCSmedia at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode. This episode is brought to you by Let's Get Checked. Are you a man your father was? Recent studies have shown that men's testosterone levels have dropped substantially since the 1980s at about an average of 1% per year. Think about how old your father was when he was born. For example, if he was 30, your testosterone levels could be 30% lower than his. Low testosterone levels can have all types of health effects on men. It can affect your mood, sex drive, memory, muscle mass loss. You name it. And yes, low testosterone is more common the older you get, but it can affect men at any age. So let's talk about today's sponsor, Let's Get Checked. You can order a testing kit that will be delivered to you in a discreet packaging with next day delivery. Once your sample arrives in the laboratory, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. So if you want to test your hormone levels without having to leave your home, visit trylgc.com backslash MSCS media and get 25% off your test using the code MSCS media. The link is in the description at the top. Would it, would it be considered like, I know this is kind of crazy, but like, you know, gangs and cities have their areas, right? They have their territory and that's my territory and I'm selling my drugs there and you come into that territory, get the fuck out. Kind of like that. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with the with the secret maps that you had gotten, what makes them? I mean, I understand that you know those are pinpointers to where treasures may be, but what makes them so top secret other than the value, or is it just the value of it? Well, because you don't want to give away information that potentially could be a large vessel with treasure, you know, a treasure laden vessel. And Gordon was good at locating a lot of them. He located the Atocha that Mel Fisher found. Uh, in the 80s, he had a big hit in 1985, but yeah, Gordon so. located that from space in the 60s, <laughs> early 60s. Wow. And, you know, so that's what I'm talking about. And then there was another wreck called the Maravillas, which a very famous person is working on now named Carl Allen. 
And he has a legal permit to do that. But Gordon also saw that from space. So a lot of the shipwrecks that he did identify uh, the wreckage area. Now, it doesn't mean, hey, there's a shipwreck. I can see the gold. You don't do that. You just go to that area. You mag the area with a magnetometer. And if you come up with um, anomalous readings from ferrous metals, then you dive down with metal detectors and look for uh, whatever treasure may be associated with that debris field. And wow. so it's it's a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of time. Um, I'm here in Spain working on a project that I'm currently filming um, that I'm doing the research here in Spain. That's why I'm in Spain. And what are you doing the research on there in Spain? I can't tell oh, you. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, well, 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 guess what? That gives me a reason to manipulate you into coming back to then telling me yeah, what the hell you were doing in Spain. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you'll be able to hear about it in a few months down the road, and I'll make an announcement on my social media when I'm able to. Sure, sure. Yeah. Now, I have to ask you, this is a little off. All this UFO, IPA coming in and out of the water, blah, 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 blah. What's your take on all that? You know, I approach things as a scientist. doesn't matter what I may or may not believe in. Until I can prove it, it's just me hypothesizing that there may be something there do i believe that there's stuff there yes can i prove it not as of yet um uh, gordon told me a lot of things in secret Mm. that makes me a true believer Uh, and so i i do believe uh albeit i haven't seen i've witnessed ufos on my own um i've seen things that are unexplainable Uh, I've gone through the Bermuda Triangle and got caught in a storm and then all of our uh, mechanical equipment died, the electronics went out, navigational equipment went out and we were stranded there. It was really scary. Uh, So I've been through the gamut of different circumstances uh, and been lucky to survive them. But do I believe there's something out there? Absolutely. That's my belief. Can I prove it? Not yet. Well, maybe that's may- not yet. Not yet. That's big because maybe yeah. you'll be the one that just has one piece. I if you if you if you would see my studio, I had I have UFOs. I got stars on the ceilings, everything. But I got to the point where I thought there there's no way if if you can bend time and come fifteen you know million light years, what you're going to crash when you make it to Earth. But maybe they gave it as a gift. Uh, you know, to advance technology, you know, I don't know. But if, if Gordon thinks that they came here, my mind has just yeah. changed. Yeah. Well, he believed that they were amongst us. That you makes know. sense to me. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's what he believed. Uh, however, you know, I don't want to say something that I can't, yeah. I can't prove he told me that. I'm right. just saying this secondhand that, yes, um, he believed in that. He believed highly in it. He believed in, he, you know, he worked with secret government programs back then, back long time ago. Uh, and a lot about a lot of the stuff that you're hearing that's coming out now that's finally making the news and the mainstream media, even who usually hide the truth because they're told to. Right. Um, they're bringing stuff out uh, that you would never have heard of 10 years ago. And Gordon told me about that stuff 30 years ago. Oh, so. Wow. 
So, yeah. so either there's too many or they just really need to deflect everything that's going on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One yeah. of the two. Yeah, we right? don't know. Uh, we don't know yeah. the reasoning behind it, but there's I I I believe there's all sorts of reasons. It maybe the public would panic. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Religious beliefs would probably be compromised because there's no real talk about that in religion. Me being a recovering Catholic, I know that. Um, I think uh, the Pope, though, the Pope accepted it. The Pope accepted it. Well, he has to, you know. Yeah. I mean, look, <laughs> they brought the, the, the people that are up in the super secret societies, they know yeah. what's going on. Yeah. But we're never going to know. We They'll tell us when they're ready to tell us. And, you know, that's what I believe. That's how government works. And I guess I kind of get it. But, you know, it's kind of selfish. But I kind of get it. Because I don't know, public the public is uh, yeah. they might take things. People talk before they think a lot. You know what I mean. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of BS out there too when it comes to this. When you're talking about alien contact and things, especially on the internet now, a lot of the stuff looks so real, and it's mm -hmm. you know it's got to be fake, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so I don't know. You know, it's frustrating not to be able to just. Okay, look, if you're going to tell the story, tell it straight. I, I'm uh, right so. with you. And it got, like Rob will tell you, I went down to this rabbit hole where I had every astrophysicist in you could think of, every scientist that was working on it, neuroscientist, just to figure it out. And every, it was just like a circle jerk almost, <laughs> you know? And, you know, from a science standpoint, if you just say what it is or, or what's going on, then you can have say 50 of the best working on it instead of if they are doing what they say they're doing you take one lunatic that you can discredit and you say hey hey buddy uh here's this reverse engineer it and then when one guy can't do it in three years you know you wipe him off the face of the earth as if he doesn't exist then you bring another one and so from a science aspect you know you want that there yeah, well, my uh, my uncle, my uncle Daryl, who I'm named after. Oh, cool! Uh, my dad idolized his brother, so he named me after his older brother. <laughs> he was an inventor, and he built things. He built the uh, what today is the Talon, or no? I mean, not used to be called the Talon, the Taser that the police used to shoot it. Oh yeah, criminal. Holy shit! He invented that tech. He invented that technology, but it was on a glove. You put it on a glove, and it was like, called the Eagle's Talon. It had claws on the end of it and you would have to touch the perpetrator but that was too close contact with the, um, a possible dangerous perpetrator so they took the technology he sold that and they developed the taser where you shoot it at the perpetrator wow. and you shoot him and then so because my uncle was that type of person who invented a lot of stuff my dad financed um on behalf of gordon a model of a ufo that's no bigger than two and a half feet in diameter uh, made out of fiberglass with aluminum uh on the inside and with electromagnetic propulsion and it actually flew really yeah and gordon wouldn't tell us how or where he got the technology but my uncle built it it flew and uh it's it, it was pretty amazing i was there in 1990 when they flew it and wow. it actually, my my uncle, my uncle had put a, a radio uh, antenna receiver on the 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 spacecraft, 
And then he would try and fly it like a radio controlled aircraft that a lot of people fly their model airplanes with. And it was spinning, the top part was spinning at 10,000 RPMs and that's how it got its lift. And once it was up, it didn't really have a power source. It was just self-perpetuating motion. But it, my uncle, it would interfere with the signal. So it ran out of uh, the, it ran, uh, it, we couldn't get the signal to it. So it got out of control and we're all running down the street. Oh my God, everybody's <laughs> going to think it's a UFO. And we're trying to chase this thing down and we're going, it is a UFO, but they're going to think it's from outer space. <laughs> and we managed to, my uncle managed to get it to, to a lower elevation. My dad threw a blanket on it, got it down wow. uh, to the ground and we carried it away and snuck it back in the house where we wow. were playing with it. So, so you pretty much had an experience with an anti-propulsion system that moves. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty cool. You got a family yeah. of geniuses yeah, over I'd there, buddy. So. Can I, can I have a couple IQ points? I wouldn't have been able to design it. It was just Gordon's design. My uncle built it. And then my dad paid for it. Uh, well, so, one thing my really mi cool. my mind has changed again, but I'm sticking yeah. with this one. Uh, so with uh, your Discovery show, how did that come about? How, how did Discovery find you? And what made you make the decision to do the reality show? Because, you know, some of these we had on um, Chris. Uh, I, for, I forget how you say his last name, but Chris. And he was uh, Gator Boys. And his issue was with the reality you know, they're dealing with alligators and not nutty stuff. And they would write the script to other cast members to kind of set him up in a really, really dangerous situation to make it good reality TV to the point where he was just like, this is too dangerous. Well, it was different. See, I was a treasure hunter and I had a company that I was running with a business partner at the time. Uh, and we got a phone call and it was a, producer and he goes hi my name's ari and i'm looking to do a television show on treasure hunting but something's different not just the mainstream type of treasure hunting shows i want to do something different tell me about your life and when i told him about my relationship with gordon and how i went treasure hunting with him and he goes you're lying and i went hmm. okay dude i don't even know who you are you're <laughs> on the other end of the phone i don't know if you're lying i don't even know if you're a tv producer and so i hung up on him he called me back and he goes, no, 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 let's, let's meet. I, I'm, I, I'm too intrigued by the story. And once I brought him all the documentation to prove that I was uh, good friends with astronaut Gordon Cooper and that we had worked together, um, that's how the show was born. And then they developed a sizzle reel and uh, history or not history, Discovery Channel bought it. But the, all the networks were fighting for it. And my show wasn't scripted. So oh, it's not okay. like they wrote. Thing. It, they didn't write scenes for us. Good. Okay. You know, yeah. I mean, TV TV is produced in some ways. You have to re-dive in if they want to get a beauty shot. You have to, uh, you know, that part, yes, that's just TV. You, and TV is not linear like life. So you can film 10 scenes and then they'll match it in order that they want to make the audience understand the storyline better. But it's not, my show wasn't scripted. It's not like we were going, my name is Daryl. Oh boy, look what we discovered. No, it's none of that. Yeah. It was just them following us uh, based on the information that I got from Gordon. That, and that's how yeah. the show was born. That's awesome. It yeah. was pretty cool. 
and a, <clears throat> an interesting fact I, I've, I saw with Gordon, he passed in 2004, and in 2004, you went through an earthquake, right? During, your, your wife was pregnant in 2004 as yeah. well? Now that's yeah. weird. Now that's some. That's a little. I think he was saying to you because wasn't his last words kind of finish this off? You know, like yeah, keep, keep finished, it going. Finished what I started. Finished what I couldn't. I, th I think he gave you a bump there. You know, like <laughs> hey, hey. Yeah. Well, we were in the Turks and Caicos. Oh, by the way, I wanted to give uh, a shout out to Steven Spielberg's company, Amblin TV, also produced it. So, oh, wow. they were really nice, very creative. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, so it was it was a good show. You know, we had a good run. But when we were filming, when we first started filming the show in late 2015, we filmed it for like three years. It's bizarre. It took a long time. It was a lot longer than what most TV shows take to to produce. Um, but in late 2015, we were in the Turks and Caicos, and we were. I was sitting on the beach. I don't know if it made TV or not, but they. The producers asked me, so do you think Gordon's up there watching you now? And I went, hey, Gordo, show me a sign. And right then and there, a big lightning bolt went down. I went, holy crap. Wow. And I go, did you guys get that? And they did. They got it on TV. Really? Wow. It. it was really cool. And wow. it felt like he was there. Made my skin crawl. I just gave me goosebumps because I'm, I'm, you know, I, like I told you, I went down this this dark hole. Yeah, pull up uh, uh, tab three, and it's, it's also now it's on YouTube, Amazon Prime, uh, Discovery, right? You can watch mm -hmm. it. And yeah. <clears throat> do you think with the Titanic? Do you think there's anything left down there at the Titanic? I imagine that there is a lot of uh, valuable uh, belongings down there discovery did a great job on the homepage. i'll say that like that that gets you interested in that just alone <coughs> oh that photo yeah yeah the, it just yeah, makes you but you want it's kind of like uh now what did you yeah that was that was interesting that was fun uh it almost felt like we we're in a spaceship in slow motion it, I, yeah scroll I down remember, i remember thinking that was the closest i'll ever of getting in space in a spaceship <laughs> i don't know man at the rate you're going who knows yeah. the things you're accomplishing <laughs> and doing in your family phew, any anything can happen now when you saw yeah. that 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 uh that other i guess you could call it a half of a sub goes down there it, it couldn't it never even pass the test even close to how far it had to go down. The Titanic that got stuck, you know, what, two months ago? A yeah, little sub thing. That little sub thing. It didn't even pass any of the testings. Like, how well, Am I right? It, it, I, I know. I don't know that it did or didn't. I can't say because I don't know. However, uh, it was really strange about six months ago. Not even six months ago. Maybe five months ago, I was, uh, I was in the Turks and Caicos uh i was there by accident and we ended up getting there because we had a uh, engine problem with one of our boats i was on my way through and beyond turks and caicos but we had to go to the turks and caicos on an emergency run and we managed to get the boat to a marina and when i got to the marina there was this guy who came up and goes hey daryl and i went what i look around and he goes it's me i worked on your show on cooper's treasure and I went oh okay i'm sorry i didn't recognize him but he he knew me obviously and we had a conversation and that was right when that happened and um he had told me that he had piloted that 
very same sub eight times himself and went down to the Titanic and took people down and had eight successful trips, obviously, because he was still alive. Um, and uh, that, and I had no idea that he was part of that sub program, but he went and he told me that, yeah, the, the Navy had known that it had um, imploded uh, and but they failed to tell anybody of their findings uh, right away. They, I just thought it was kind of mean that the for whatever reason, they didn't mention it, whether they were checking to be sure or whatever could be the case. I don't know. Hmm. I'm not the Navy, but they knew that the uh, it met its demise on the same on the very first few hours that it was down there. Um, but they didn't tell the family members and everybody's sitting there waiting for hope and, yeah. you know, for three days, I think it was, you know, for a possible saving of the, the ship, but it would, it was already gone. And he told me that that was the part that bugged him the most. Yeah. That's fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I've heard that and other stories and there was a bunch of, of, uh, guys that, it just didn't seem right and they got out of it and they were, you know, thankful as can be that they got out of it. But, you know, it, people get on a crusade and, you know, they, they, they want to do, they want to get down there and, and see what's there. So, I mean, do you, do you, yeah, well, look, everybody, you, you have to know the risks that you're taking right. um, and everything that we do, including me, not, not near as risky as that. Albeit I did go in that little sub that you saw there in the previous slide you had. Uh, I went down in that, and I was nervous. I think I went down 1,200 feet. Mm. To me, that was deep. I've never been that deep underwater. I'm, I'm a shallow shipwater shipwreck uh, salver, so shallow water is what I do. I don't do deep water. It's too expensive, and it's, I, it just takes too much money and, and too much equipment and, and time. Um, I'd rather go for the shallow water, the low-hanging fruit, if you want to put it. Um, and so... But it was an experience to do that. I was glad I did it. But, uh, you know, I'll stick to diving in shallower water wrecks, especially the older I get. And, you know, I have kids. I don't want to, you know, I want to see them get married. <laughs> yeah, right. I want to be a granddad someday. You know? even, so. even on the shallow dives, do you have to prep a lot? Like, you know, get your cardio right or your endurance right? Is there a lot of that to it? Well, it's like anything that you do. The healthier you are, the easier anything that's physically uh, straining is going to be easier. So I try to stay healthy. I'm older now. I'm 60. Wow. Um, I don't look 60. I, oh, I would have thought yeah. 45 maybe. Good. Yeah. No, thanks. <laughs> um, so I try to stay and eat healthy and stay in shape. Um and because, you know, the older you get, my bones hurt a lot more. You know, I get some arthritis pains and stuff like that. But, you know, you have to stay fit for it. So, but any special thing, no, most anybody could dive in shallow water. Um, however, you, you know, it's getting in and out of the boat that is harder than the actual diving itself because you've got the gear on and you any slight movement of the boat, if you've got wave movement, wave action and wind, getting up on the boat it's very dangerous in some cases and you get hit by a boat in the head and if it, or if it comes down on you as you're trying to get up the, the ladder on the back and if you miss it uh, it's it's gonna be a problem dangerous. it's gonna be a problem yeah. right <laughs> yeah yep 
How much sea life do you think, or or maybe you've seen a lot that we've have un, unidentified? We have no idea about. Well, see that most of the unidentified sea life is probably in the really deep waters, mm-hmm. and it makes sense they're unidentified because we don't go down that deep. Mm-hmm. You know, technology's not there yet, or if it is, it's not made ready made for the public. So a lot of that uh, is down in deep waters uh in shallow waters i don't know i'm not a fish expert everybody thinks i know how to fish and <laughs> oh so do you see any bluefin i'm going i don't even know what a bluefin is until you told me because you told me it has blue fins <laughs> <laughs> so, you yeah. know i'm not a fisherman right. i don't fish but most treasure hunters do fish uh, uh i don't so I don't really know about sea life other than I love when I'm in the water. One of my favorite parts about it is uh, the the contact that I have with, sea, with the sea life. I was once approached by a baby dolphin and his mother. Yeah, what's uh, that like? Be, because they're dolphins and whales. They think whales are smarter than us. Correct me well, if I'm wrong. Yeah. Or as I, smart. You know, again, I don't know the measurements of the consciousness uh, yeah, of right. a whale or a dolphin. Uh, however, I'm, I'm assuming they're very smart. Uh, do I think they can communicate the way we do and, and be conscious about everything like we are? I don't think so. No. However, for sea life, they're probably very intelligent. I know octopuses are, octopi, uh, and dolphins are. I mean, it just my encounters with them are fantastic. That's my favorite part. It, I always say that's my office that I get to play in, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm just renting it from them because it's their home. Because when you're actually diving, it's you're in a different world and it feels like a different world. And it it never gets old to me diving. I love diving. It, I feel like I'm, I you know, you have these dreams when you're a kid that you could fly. It's the closest feeling to flying uh, in slow motion. You right. Know, it's just really cool. There's this weightlessness and you get a feeling of being in space and it's really cool. I love diving, especially beautiful, clear water. I don't like to dive in murky or <laughs> dirty waters with uh, no visibility, which a lot of treasure hunters have to work in. And lucky for me, I'm not in those types of waters. However, I have worked in situations like that. So, um, but yeah, I love diving. Yeah, I love sea life. I love everything about it. I, I I would imagine it's almost like a sense of therapy, you know, because you go down there and you're away from everything else. I mean, even though it's not like a gazillion feet, still you're just out there. There's no noise, no craziness, you know, just peace almost within. It is. Yeah. It's very quiet. I remember I was trying to dislodge a cannonball, um, <laughs> and you know, I was trying. I was. T- I had a hammer and a. Um, a crowbar, a mini crowbar, and was trying to dislodge this cannonball. And all these hundreds of beautiful tropical fish, the kind you see in fish stores, <clears throat> they were all circling me. They're all so curious as to what this big animal is doing. <laughs> and as soon as I stopped trying to dislodge the cannonball, they all attacked the cannonball, thinking <laughs> it was food. And, and then I would go back down there, and they'd get up and they'd watch and they'd wait for the right moment then when I'd stop to try and get it it was just yeah no, that how cool is so that cool. yeah yeah, yeah no, that seems so little cool. little things like that make my job so much fun you yeah because it's fun because you're almost playing with them 
Yeah. You know, you're almost yeah. like throwing yeah. ball with like the dog out back. <laughs> yeah, and they can tell that you're not a predator because you haven't tried to attack them, especially if you go out in the areas where <clears throat> a lot of divers don't go. Uh, that's when the sea life is much more uh, accessible because they're not afraid of you because they've never seen you before and they don't know you to be a predator. And we move slow compared to them in the water. So, yeah. you know, they're more curious. And in that case, you know, I've had turtles come up to me, dolphins, so uh, cool. manta rays. Manta rays? Uh, it, yeah, wow. big ones. Yeah. Wow, that's so neat. When you, uh, wow, you know, when you're there, you're under the water, you've got your coordinates, or you're trying to figure out, you know, the shipwrecks or where they're at, like, um, just go through the process of, of what it takes to find treasure. Like, what do you do? How do you go through that process? Well, you have to go on a good lead for one. And Beans, I had information from Gordon and he's telling me that this particular wreck was well known. The manifest says it was carrying certain amounts of treasure. So you have to go in and you have to identify it. When you're magnet doing a magnetometer, it picks up the ferrous metals or iron objects only. It won't pick up gold or silver or any uh, non-ferrous metals albeit they're trying to develop one that does now, but it identifies iron artifacts. So once you've identified a debris field and you go down there and you find bronze spikes or any type of spikes, certain types of spikes were made at certain times, certain different periods uh, throughout the centuries, and you can tell how old that wreck is. But the most identifying part would be a bell, um, obviously, which there's very few of those. Um, cannons. Uh, you can tell the date of a shipwreck by the cannons. They made different. They put the trunnions in different uh, positions on the cannons. Uh, the trunnions are the things that it swiveled off of. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, it, obviously, if you find coins, coins are the number one thing that tell you what year the ship is. Hmm. So, what was the oldest coin you found? I, I have a friend. He he's one of those guys that goes to every single coin show on the planet. Uh, you know, like I don't even know what there are. Sometimes we'll stop by and he's got 17 yeah. things of Tommy of yeah. coins. And he's like, this one, that one's <clears> this, <throat> this one's that, you know, well, what's the uh, oldest or, or just most fascinating one? Well, the ones that I found off the Christopher Columbus shipwreck were the Hell ones yeah. that I found with my father. I mean, I, I think I found one from the 1300s in, near wow. Panama with my dad. Um, but I've, the ones in the late 1400s, now that, that was pretty neat just because it had the history of being part of Christopher Columbus made it even more valuable to me. Hell yeah, man. Now do like, you know, so the shipwreck, however far offshore it is, I mean, you got to figure however many years it's been sitting down there. Right. And then through storms and through all that type of stuff, you know, you may have a coordinate, but that stuff can get pushed. Right. I mean, all those coins can get pushed away or not really. You know, everybody says that, and not really, to no. be honest with you, because once once heavy metals, and silver's very heavy, and so is gold, and it, once it works its way into crevices, it'll stay there, and sometimes not, not move at all. Now, obviously, if you're getting, uh, if you're working on a shipwreck that's in a very shallow reef, you, where the waves crash on it, and even just from the changing of the tides, you might get movements of the wreck, but it's not going to go very far. Gotcha. It's, it's 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 so rather very simple. 
identifying shipwrecks is easy. Yeah, I could I could go in the middle of the ocean and find a shipwreck even if I had no charts. I just would know where to go. Uh, I'd go. I can go by a map, a sea chart, and go. Okay, I'm going to go investigate that reef. And if I know that it's it, where the Spanish were, I'm sure I'll find a shipwreck. Now, whether it has treasure on it, it's a different thing. Yeah. So there's you. You do have to do a lot of research if you're after a known small fleet of ships uh, going to Seville, Spain, and visiting the archives of the Indies. Uh, is a good way to do it, but um, you can access that stuff online. But you know, uh, through their web page, uh, you have to get a special permit to do that. But because uh, they don't really let people in there anymore to, to handle artifacts or or their the actual documents. Of course not. A lot has changed. The the world of treasure hunting is a dying industry. I'd say in about three to five years, it will be illegal to treasure hunt anywhere all over the world what? because mm. UNESCO, ENA which yeah. is from Mexico, all these other academic organizations, they look at all of us as thieves yep. that we, that we are, you know, robbing the rich cultural history of the past and that we're profiting from it. Such but if you bullshit. think about it, such bullshit, I read an article on that. That's such bullshit. Well, they're doing the same thing. When you think about it, yeah. uh, they're getting, government grant money uh, to do undergo a project. If they're salvaging shipwrecks, they're doing the same thing. They're getting paid by somebody. Mm -hmm. So they're profiting. If the if they open up a museum, they're profiting by allowing uh, paying customers to come in there. So it's just it's a highbrow way of thinking that they're scientists and that they are not destroying anything. That's where they try to draw the line that we're we don't uh, approach it scientifically like they do but i can guarantee you that we approach a shipwreck no different than any of these guys do i mean look there are some idiots out there but i know a lot of idiots in in the academic industry who oh, are just as me too. dumb as the people they purport to hate yeah. uh and they're just careless and uh and uh, unprofessional as the people they purport to hate so uh, you know i don't believe in any of what what it is that they say but again power and control like a lot of things in government and anywhere else it it, it eventually does win because there's no one who has the power to fight unesco or, or, or the state of Florida or any other country, if you find a shipwreck in their waters, even if you plan on paying for it yourself and sharing the profits with them, they they won't work with you. And any archaeologist that does cross that side and work with treasure hunters is blacklisted and will not be able to work within the academic organizations anymore. So it's really frowned upon. They They really dislike us. And I even offered to work with an organization say, look, I know where a hundred shipwrecks are. I will give you the exact coordinates. I want to work with you. I will pay for my own way. You guys handle your expenses. All I want is credit that I worked with you. And now you guys can take it from there. And they said, nope. That wow. is, Absolutely. that is, um, see, that is the problem with everything, you know, with yeah. the shipwrecks, with the UFO, with anything. It's like, Jeez. They like, want the whole cake, man. They want the whole cake, and then they want it figured out, but they want to have 
four idiots that they think are smart because they have some certificate, not the guy right. that's been doing right. it for 40 years, right? You know? Yeah, well, look, the treasure hunters, there wouldn't be underwater archaeology had it not been for treasure hunters. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely not. And try to go to school and become a marine archaeologist. Good luck getting a job. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Because they work so far and few between projects. Uh, most of their work is done in an office setting. They don't. I have more hours underwater than probably people who have been underwater archaeologists for 30 years, only because they're not in the water all the time. Combined, you know, combined, you got more than them for just from what I read oh, the last two days on it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and plus, not yeah. to mention the experience you have from your father and and everything. They're just assholes, man. Just assholes. Yeah, yeah. I I know you've done a lot a lot of uh, shipwrecks in the Bahamas. Why so many in the Bahamas? Because that was the main thoroughfare. There was, you know, it was the route that took them to uh, the New World. Cuba being number one. I mean, just north of Cuba is the Bahamas Islands. You've got all that. And that was the, and then you had the Florida Straits and the currents. The currents helped uh, make their decision and which route to take because the Florida Straits have a current that take them right back to Spain. Um, and that's what it was. And it was easier to see. Uh, Bahamas is a bastardization of the word, Spanish words. Bahamars, which means low seas. Oh, so, yeah, and so yep, yeah, which meant be very careful. And as soon as a storm comes, that beautiful differentiation in colors of seven different shades of blue, darker blue being deeper water, and the lightest blue and green being shallow water, disappears when uh, winds pick up, and you get white caps. Everything looks gray. And that's why they all ran aground everywhere. Oh, yeah, so yeah. even though it was great for fair seas because of the currents, it was bad if you uh, happened to be passing through when a storm came. Okay. Even even a mild storm could push you up on shallow reefs, and shipwrecks would just pile up there century after century. century. Now, yeah, no. I've seen. I I know a ship. I know an area in the Bahamas where you can find. The shipwrecks from 300 years apart. They all, wow. it's like that dangerous turbine <laughs> yeah. road. They all, it's like that guy, that he gets, he gets yeah. that bottle of moonshine out and he goes, all right, boys, let's go. You got You got another bottle of moonshine before we take this one. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the age of piracy started in the Bahamas. So it was a big deal there. Wow. That's man. why there's so much treasure out there. Wow, that's so now, interesting. Now we live. We're we're, we're stationed. Uh, our our studios in Palm Beach Island. I'm sure you know where that's at, right? And so mm -hmm. we got the Treasure Coast just to the north of us. How right. many? And you would know this more than I would. How many shipwrecks would you estimate are out there? And why do they call it the Treasure Coast? I know why, but just so the viewers understand, they call it the Treasure Coast because of the 1715 fleet. But albeit there's a lot of shipwrecks out there. Not not all of them were carrying treasure, but Every single shipwreck did have some form of currency on them because they didn't travel with credit cards back then. Mm -hmm. They had to have money to buy merchandise or they were carrying valuable merchandise on the, with them on the ship. So uh, there are hundreds of them along the Florida coast. However, if you get into the Bahamas and you go back in there, especially or in and around Cuba, Mexico, Central America, South America, 
there is literally hundreds of thousands of them. When I went to Seville in the archives of the Indies, they the director there told me if you took all of our paperwork that the Spanish managed to collect and save since Christopher Columbus till you know the uh, early 1800s, it would span out. If you laid each page next to each other, it would go 42 miles. Wow, that's wow. how much documentation they saved. They were very good records keepers, the Spanish and. You know, even if you manage to get in a storm and survive the storm and make your ship back to Spain, and once you told the story, if they weren't happy with the way you handled yourself, or uh, they would behead you or kill you right then and there. They were. I'm in Spain right now, and just to imagine the, the 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 mindset of the Spanish back then, they were they were not a nice group of people, <laughs> to say you know the least, I mean? right? Yeah. And I love Spain, um, but it, when you think about, but again, everybody back then, it was just so much more brutal. I don't even know if I'm even saying that correctly because people haven't changed much today. However, back then it, it was just different. You know, it was in your face more. It didn't matter if somebody got beheaded, you know, the public hangings was a, a thing of the kids would go see on the weekends. So you wouldn't do that now. Um, however, you know, man, ha man hasn't changed since. Yeah, but you know, yeah, back then. How, oh, oh, he's getting hanged. Yep. Uh, where are we going tonight? Yep. What's <laughs> for know? dinner after? Ah, <laughs> um, I don't know what he did. <laughs> you yeah. know, the, the guillotine, all those things. It's just gruesome. I had a, I had a friend of uh, the family. He, he was a treasure hunter. He found one uh, down in Florida. He found one. You'll laugh at this one. He spent forever because his dad, you know, kind of pushed him into doing it, and uh, he found one. You know, however much money, took the money, went to the Dominican Republic, never came back. Wow. You know, because you could wow. buy a house there for like 25 grand and not get killed. You know, so whatever yeah. he found, he took it and, and got the hell out. But I, and I saw that it, when I was reading about you, he had talked about Panama a lot. When you were in Panama and going through those wrecks, take us through that. Panama is very interesting to me. Well, you know, Panama, the, they knew about the isthmus being such a narrow body of land, and they would they didn't have the canal back then, but they used to use the mule trains. And so the, the Pacific and the Atlantic coast were only separated by that small isthmus. And you could cross it in like a half hour to 45 minutes in a car today. Uh, and if they had better roads, you could probably do it in 20 minutes, but it's windy and not like that so they they would mint coins down in south america and in mexico and they would move these ships from where whichever coastline and then they would cross mm -hmm. them over the the isthmus and bring them mostly to uh, havana cuba havana cuba in, in cuba has probably had more shipwrecks than any other island in the caribbean really uh because yeah coins would come out of mexico city then to veracruz off the Havana, and then once they hit Havana, they either picked up more coins or dropped off coins, and then they'd head back to Spain. Uh, and and a lot of coins were minted uh, in South America, and they would load the mules with sacks of coins on their backs, and they'd line them up in a mule train over the hills. In fact, there's a lot of uh, mule trail, they call it, 
where you could find coins that spilled. So when the mules were crossing, the, you know, storms come out of nowhere in yeah. the Caribbean and in that part of the world, even on the Pacific. And it, it would cause the mules to lose their footing. They tumble down the hills. The mules would die and the coins would just be spread thousands and tens of thousands of these coins all over those mule trails. Mm. You'd have to find the right trail, which we did. Wow. Uh, on a couple of instances. Yeah. And, and so. Go ahead. No, so I mean that Panama is very interesting. It's just one of those unique places geographically in the world where you could transfer things across land in, in a shorter period of time than, you know, across Mexico or South America. So that's what it was. It was easier to do it that way. <clears throat> I just always wondered why. And I I had read a lot of like treasure hunters out there in Panama, and I like Panama for a bunch of different reasons. <laughs> yeah, but, Panama's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Def definitely different than here. A lot different than yep. here. Now, uh, in season two uh, of the, of the Cooper uh, Treasure, talk about how you found what was it, fifteen thousand foot long uh, obstruction jutted. I can't, I can't say it right, but what you? Yeah, I watched well, it last look, night. I was like, holy shit! But you know what? That uh, I'm going to be honest with you, and everybody that I talk to about that takes the, the that whole story was blown way out of proportion okay it, it's not what everybody says is unidentified or uso uh sitting at the bottom of the sea 15,000 foot long no, it wasn't that at all it was a linear projectile sticking out of a sea wall that spread across uh, that didn't make sense we had thought that perhaps it was a mast of a ship that was coral had grown on it but then a wooden mast wouldn't grow like that it would never work uh in in a current situation it would just disintegrate because wood is organic so we thought it was a metal mast um the the gentleman that i worked with had been in that area before with a crew and after and what they believe this really to be is remnants of an ancient civilization, not a UFO. Now, granted, I don't know if ancient civilizations have anything in connection with other world entities or not. I don't know. I can't prove it either. So, but I saw things down there that looked like, you know, foundations to buildings, um, but 300 feet underwater, that would mean that would be 16 to 20,000 years ago for that to be at sea level and or above. So that's the stuff that we saw. And for some reason, it just got taken out of context that there was an alien spaceship. I don't know how that happened. It just <laughs> morphed into that. Mm. Now, granted, I would love to find a UFO or USO. <laughs> oh, I wish, I wish you could there. tell me if I won. Yeah, I... I, when I, when I was watching it, I was just like, all right, well, that looks really huge. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, it is, it was a big ominous object sticking out of a seawall and there was more than one. And then there was other figures there that made no sense that mother nature couldn't have created. So they were either, let's call it man-made uh, uh, objects, uh, but made tens of thousands of years ago. So, to me, that's just as interesting because to build those kind of uh, structures back in that time period uh, took uh, a lot of technology to build 
stuff like that. So, you know, maybe the connection and maybe that's how it kind of got the the speed on uh, this uh, UFO story discovered by Daryl Nicholas. I, <laughs> I'll tell you what, I've tried to explain it a thousand <laughs> times. Before. It's just as exciting to me to find an ancient civilization, supposedly. It's not proven. But the, the guy that I went down with in the submarine, him and his people have done a lot of work in that area and they believe that that's what it is and i believe it too but again what i believe is not concrete evidence it's you have to have scientific evidence because it's i you know you learn i could probably sell a lot of stories telling people what i think is true right and get people all hyped up about it but i really want people to take away the truth and the truth is i can't say what it is other than what I believe and that one thing I do know is mother nature doesn't make right angle objects in the ocean it's <laughs> I've never seen it and not that many not so many in one area so there's something else down there that wasn't made by mother nature uh, and that's to me that's as equally as fascinating as finding a a flying object that sank to the bottom of the ocean. You know me, what I mean? Me too. Me too. Because I and I'll tell you what, though, that's so respectable. Because I bet you eight and a half out of ten would have been like, "Oh yeah, absolutely, mm -hmm. yeah, for mm -hmm. sure." You know. So I I really respect that. It just shows how passionate you are about your career. You know. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped.com. Breaking news, Manscaped now sells beard products. That's right. They are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. From a beard trim to a fresh shave, the technology behind Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shave your signature beard look. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make your drapes match your carpet by going to Manscaped.com and using code MSCS Media for 20% off and free shipping. No one likes a weird beard, so say goodbye to all the stubble trouble with Manscaped's Pro Beard Kit. It all starts with the Beard Hedger. This thing is a monster of fixing faces. First off, this cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths all with one guard. No more messing around in drawers, this color one, that color one, all with one guard. Plus it's waterproof, so you can shave in the shower and avoid all that hair in the sink. The Pro Kit doesn't end there though. First, there's the beard shampoo and conditioner. You need to remember your hair is different. Next, Manscaped's beard oil. Tap it off with beard balm. The Pro Kit also comes with three different gifts, a beard brush, comb, and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code MSCSMedia at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code MSCSMedia. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Let's talk about sex. Guys, remember the days when you're always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up, BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, aqua conversations, waiting in line at the pharmacy. 
Bluetooth tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. Does it work? Don't think you need it? Try it free for a month and see. You're going to love it. You could be missing the best sex of your life. They say there's nothing sexier than confidence. And Blue True can help give you the confidence where it counts. Blue True wants to help you have better sex. Discover your options at BlueChew.com. Chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue True free when you use the promo code MSCS at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code MSCS, to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. We thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. I just wanted everything to be truthful, you know, and it's fascinating still. And I would love, like I said, I'd love to be able to prove that there was an ancient civilization down there, but it's very expensive. It's, uh, it, it's, it's really um, time consuming. Uh, it's dangerous because it's deep water. Uh, uh, the gentleman that I dove down there with in the submarine his people do it. I'm not trained to dive on deep water. I'm not really interested in it, only because I've been a shallow uh, shipwreck recovery specialist. We call ourselves instead of treasure hunter. But I have been a treasure hunter, mostly working on shallow shipwrecks, shallow water shipwrecks. And to go down 300 feet, you can't stay down there very long. It's I've got a family and I, you know, I, I would have probably done that kind of diving when I was younger, but as I get older, I go, eh, so no, not my cup of tea. I'll go down in a submarine and watch, uh, make discoveries and recoveries with a mechanical arm or something like that. I wouldn't mind doing that at that depth. Um, but diving at that depth, it's just so dangerous and you have to be really that you have to be really passionate about diving deep. And there's only a few, men qualified men or women qualified to do that uh and it's i'm not i'm not qualified to do that but it was a fantastic discovery and i think there's a lot more to the story and i think it may reveal something that is uh exciting if a lot of people want to refer to it as like the lost city of atlantis hey i don't know what atlantis looks like and i don't think anybody really does uh, and there's no sign saying, welcome to the city of Atlantis, <laughs> yeah, right. or you are now leaving the city of Atlantis. Uh, whatever civilization was down there, I do believe that there probably was some lost civilization that's underwater. I absolutely, totally believe that. Um, however, you know, it still requires proof. You have, And the only way you can prove it is with evidence. And you know, it's, it's, I, again, I could tell, I could probably write a book about, oh, I think I discovered the lost city of Atlantis. People would probably buy it in droves, but I only want to tell the truth. So I'm not going to make up mm -hmm. stories just to make a buck. And, and if you did find it, <clears throat> they probably somehow make you look like a tin hat, like uh, Graham Hancock, you know, him and his buddy uh, Ron, they were out there in the, uh, the which desert was it the, everyone they were out there doing archaeology for years and years and years and they had found so much stuff that they had to hide it they had to hide it until they could build a facility to make sure that the government didn't know that they had it they're out in like the yeah. amazon rainforest and they found all kinds of of stuff from other civilizations so if they found it and they have like physical proof dated by professionals what it, it didn't go into the ocean it just went there 
you know, so yeah. I, I'm yeah. sure. And plus, you know, you could see legit pitchers, kind of, that it looks like a city to me down there, or that there was. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally believe that. And it just makes total sense. I mean, the, the water table has risen, it's fallen, you know, who life has been on this planet a lot longer than any of us oh, can yeah. really say it then. And we don't know the stages or the, the technologies that were built. It could have been civilizations that were wiped out that uh, lost technologies. I mean, look at the pyramids in Egypt. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how they built that. <laughs> and I don't think anybody really does. A lot of people think that, you know, it's leverage using sand and all that. Not an 80 ton solid rock that fits so snugly. You can't even stick a knife between it and the next rock. No, no. Um, <laughs> You know, look, again, I can't prove it, though. However, prove to me that uh, that a man could have built that, too. It's just as improvable as my idea that they had other help or other, you know what I mean? It's just as far-fetched to me to believe that man had the, the ability to build something like the Great Pyramids in Egypt by themselves. I just don't see it. I, I Unless they had some sort of... Uh, extra intelligence and, and math that they were using and then they all died off and that that whole technological advancement died with it i don't know that could be too the the, be the best way it was explained to me uh by like someone that you would actually listen to was if you take a vibrating razor and you put it on the table right now it will move a little bit right so say you have 100,000 years with the technology of that vibrating razor. You can make that move and then telepathic. And it seems as if other civilizations were more within, wasn't so much like your status, my status within, within nature and everything else. And it was the best way it was explained to me was a set of vibration, frequency, and telepathic. So it's either that or aliens. One of the two. Yeah, you know, uh, look, it, it, there's a lot of things on, inscribed in Egypt, in the hieroglyphics and the caricatures that they inscribed into the walls that really make you have to think twice. What is that illustration that they're showing there? You know, I mean, there's, there's a, a, a place in India where there's a, a man, a figure of a man riding a bicycle 3,500 years ago. It's crazy, right? I mean, it is crazy. What? And, uh, you know, you could see it so clearly. It's a bicycle. He's got his hands on the handlebars, two wheels, a thing that looks like a, a chain or a, a, a way to move it. And it pedals. It was so obvious. And there's all sorts of weird things um, I went down there with a scientist in, in to, uh, to Egypt, and he was telling me that thing looks very similar to a coil that they use today to transmit uh, radio waves or mm. uh, electronic waves signatures. And he goes, it's, it's striking. And he was shocked by it. And there's way too many things down there. But again, you know, it's too bad you just can't fly back in time and talk to somebody and figure it all out. But, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so how, you know, how did you get nine of them to point 
at, at you know at the you know you got one in Mexico that is directly with the one in Egypt that's directly yeah. with the one in that and within what like one degree of the North Pole or something how that just give me five seconds with you buddy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well yeah I think uh, if you multiply the the width of the Great Pyramid in Egypt by forty two thousand one hundred it's the same circum it's the radius of the earth yeah it is it is also the As same it, radius or the circumference of the yeah, earth it's weird. it's dead it, on and they're all like dead on wherever they're at it's ugh, i don't it know is. It, I, it, i'll take you for look, a ride. i believe that the, i there's so much that we don't know uh and hopefully we'll be alive long enough to find out what it is or at least our kids as long as man doesn't kill themselves right. before them you know, yeah yeah which uh, you know, it's not I'm looking, more not looking about, very good right now. Uh, I'm more worried about that than I am, you know, anything else. Because the state of the world in that we live in today is just—I've been able. I grew up. I, I feel like I grew up. I always tease my kids. Yeah, when your dad was born, when I was born, everything was in black and white. Now everything is in color and. I, you know, I grew up with phones that you had dial like this. The rotary dial. You know, yeah. Yeah. The rotary dialers. And, and, you know, I played on the streets, stayed out until dark by myself. Nobody told me to wear a helmet. And I, things are so different. And, and, but the world, how it's progressed in, in governments, it just seems more and more dangerous and, I don't know. I worry about that more than anything. Me too. Because I have young children. Yeah, I have a three-year-old daughter. So how do you think I feel? I mean, I was that yeah. I was that guy that said I will never ever homeschool my kid or a private school. I want them social. Now, you could you could put a gun to my head and I am not putting my daughter in public school. No way in hell because I'll just be in jail for the rest of my life. Is what wind up happening? You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, it's just so crazy, and they they get involved in you know even my generation. You know, you never locked your door. You came in when the street lights were on. Just yeah. so such a dip. Like if uh, with us, my friend Franco, his mom had a car phone, like a big car phone, and that was the coolest mm -hmm. thing in the world. And then all now you yeah. have all this stuff. Do you think maybe they found something in the ocean, or they found something? like that that they were able to advance like because how do you go from a car phone to what we have now in 20 years but yet prior to that you know horse and buggy to car like how do you make that advancement that quick i don't know I, that doesn't surprise me as no? much i think we're much further advanced than what we know you know True. because gordon told me things gordon told me about digital cameras back in the early 60s what yeah. Wow. Tell me about that. And, you know, I even went to Eastman Kodak in Buffalo, New York, uh, and they told me, yes, there was a type of digital wow. cameras there. What else? And, did, what uh, else did Gordon? Uh, yeah. What else did Gordon tell you? This, this, uh, this I don't want to get trouble. He'll have to kill you, you know, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's no, he's he going to hit you with another of, earthquake. He he told me things that if I told you, you, I, I would sound crazy. Oh. And that's this is stuff that happened in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, well. And, and the early 80s. If we had dinner, you would think I have a tin hat on. <laughs> the, the things well, I think, too, that I've heard yeah. from legitimate people like Gordon, you know. Yeah, yeah. and I, you know, it, I, I take Gordon at his word because there's never a day that I ever spent with Gordon that he ever lied or exaggerated on any of the other things that we did in our working and, and friend relationship. 
So I have no reason to disbelieve anything he said. He was just an honorable man. And I think he wanted to tell the truth. And there's a lot of people that even filmed on that were on part of the show, the engineers that I worked with in season one, there was things that they couldn't say. <clears throat> they came up to me when we were doing a press release and go, Daryl, look, I know you want to ask me these questions, but I signed a non an NDA. I cannot say it. And I go, it's been more than 50 years. He goes, I'm not going to say it. And I said, no worries. I will never pressure you to say anything you don't feel comfortable saying. But one of those engineers before he died told me the truth. Wow. You, yeah. got, you got one more cool thing with Gordon you can leak? One more cool thing? The digital camera. That's, that's pretty... Cool, yeah. that, 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 that's a jaw dropper. Right? Like, I just had to pick my jaw back up and put it on my mouth. Wow. Uh, there, there may have been a two space programs one for the public and one for the government that mm. running at the same time i got you i believe that i got you understood understood yeah so and that's all i can think about that i completely understand and i appreciate you even uh sharing that with, with that much you know um you know I think the treasure hunting is cool. I call it treasure hunting. That's what I always heard when yeah. I was a kid. I'd be like, look, at it. that'd be cool, man. You know? So, like, I try to bring – I like it. I think it's interesting. So, you know, I'm going to – can you tell everybody about the uh, 1733 fleet and the 1715? Because you know and I know in schools and whatever, they're not even not teaching wood us. class anymore. Wood shop's gone. Everything's gone. And, you know – whether you're 30, 40, 20, 50, they're not teaching this kind of stuff in school. And I, I just think it's really interesting if you could elaborate on those two things. Well, 17, 15 fleet were 11 ships that were who left Havana and they were on their way back to Spain. They ran into a hurricane in July 31st, July 30 or July 31st and ran against a reef. Six ships met their demise there. Four managed to limp their way up further north up the coast, which have never been found. A lot of people are still trying to figure out where the other four went. One made it back and told the story, and I believe that's kind of what I was referring to them. I believe whoever recanted the story of the loss of the 1715, the rest of the 1715 fleet was killed after telling the story. Wow. Um, then there was the 1733 fleet that you can't dive on anymore. It's in... Uh, it was actually my very first shipwreck I ever dove on when it was legal to die on it uh, by a gentleman named Stefan Sikora trained me how to be a diver. Because my dad, believe it or not, my dad was a treasure hunter for almost all his entire uh, later adult life, um, but he never dove. Really? Wow. Dead, deathly, deathly afraid of water. And <laughs> that's why he brought me in. <laughs> he hated water. Wow. Wow. There's a couple there's a couple famous treasure hunters out there today. I won't bring up their names because I don't want to humiliate them or make them embarrassed. Uh, there's a couple of them, <clears throat> very well-known treasure hunters who don't dive. But they call themselves treasure hunters, and everybody thinks they're divers, but they're not. Mm. And so my dad was one of those. Never went in the water except for one time snorkeling, and I saw him shaking so bad. <laughs> And we were actually diving the 1733 fleet at that time. And that's when it dawned on me that my dad was afraid of water. And I knew, because I could tell, I'd been a surfer all my life. I could tell people who were afraid to go out and catch a wave and then the wave could knock them over and they'd look deathly afraid. My dad had that look of death on his face. 
And I said, Dad, go ahead and get back up. I'll get it. You know, thought down. I'd give you a handshake on the on the surfing. I used to go out to L.A. a lot uh, to watch Kobe Bryant and the Lakers, and I'd go to Newport Beach. And, boy, those, some of those waves, Daryl, sir, I don't know how big of waves you, you rode, but I don't know. you got to have big kahunas to do some of that. Uh. Yeah, no, when I was young, I did, I rode big waves. I wasn't a big, big wave rider like, you know, Wyoming Bay or any of those 30, 40 foot waves. I didn't have the guts to do that. 20 foot waves, yeah, I would Stop go that. those. And I grew up in Laguna Beach, California, and oh, I surfed yeah. Newport a lot. Yeah. yeah so. And then Mexico, I surfed Mexico a lot, and I, ca I caught a lot of big waves. But um, yeah, I love surfing. Surfing was a big deal in my life for a long time and then also uh the atasha not many people know about the atasha atocha atocha i'm saying it wrong yeah. yeah yeah that was um mel fisher was had an idea in his head and he figured out through working with eugene lyons and a few other people um stefan sakura the guy who trained me uh and he had a lead that he knew where it was and went out there my dad partnered with mel and they were partners now, mel was from originally from long beach california we we're from laguna beach california so we were pretty close uh vicinity wise and then my dad and him became friends they went to florida together and they worked the 1715 fleet area there when mel owned the lease out there and then mel had invited my dad to work the atocha uh and they they were two like personalities, two type A personalities. They kept butting heads oh, and they just couldn't get along. So my dad went and got his own lease out there. <laughs> oh my God, uh, Mel just about. I was gonna say, how'd that go over? <laughs> it didn't go well. And there's a lot of stories about that because the Fisher family is still around today, but a lot of bad shit happened that, that the public does not know about that happened to us my dad was not a good person. Mel, in a lot of ways, was not the greatest person because his family's still around and I'm friends with Kim and a couple of their family members. But there was a lot of bad blood between them and my dad and they would have done anything to get rid of each other. <sighs> and thank, thank God my dad ended up leaving because i don't know that we would have been able to survive if we had not decided right to one of those things yeah. one of those things because in back then people could disappear very easily it wasn't cell phones you couldn't take pictures you Cameras didn't have a everywhere yeah 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 well, and so it was a pretty bad situation and i even if i thought that the mel and his group may have done some wrong to us at the time i think my dad i have to be fair my dad was not a good person he may have done some wrong things to mel and his people too and that's why they didn't get along and thank god i survived that one. Oh yeah because uh, it's funny because i told uh there's a gentleman named jim sinclair he's an archaeologist who worked with mel fisher he's also the same archaeologist that was on my tv show mm-hmm when I told him about that story, he goes, oh, that's right. I remember you guys. Your dad was such an asshole, tried to steal oh. that stuff from me. I go, no. <laughs> no. My dad had his own lease because he was on the other boat. Right. We were in two separate boats. It was like, you know, like, game of chicken. Yeah. In the ocean. And 
I can tell you Mel was a lot more ready for that type of game than we were. And thank God my dad decided to take off and hit the road because, but it was funny because Jim Sinclair was on that boat the day that I was probably my scariest day, the confrontation between Mel's people and my dad's people that, you know, could have turned really, really ugly. And uh, thank God I'm here to tell the story. It didn't go ugly like I thought it was going to, and I'm here to tell the story. It sounds like it was one of those situations where one of the two were going to go if they both stayed in it. It would have been bad had we both decided to stay. Right. I was way too young. I was only 17, and I go, Dad, it is time to go. Let's get the fuck out of here. These guys mean business. And I want to go home. Yeah. <laughs> I'm have... not 21 yet. I want I want to legally buy a beer first, right? Yeah. <laughs> then go back. Drink at 19, but I wasn't even 19. You weren't yet, even so. 19. Yeah. Wait wait till we all get whacked out. So let me have a drink first, yeah. right? <laughs> it, was, it was scary. That was one of the scariest situations I'd ever been in because both sides meant business. My dad meant business and so did Mel. And luckily, my dad wasn't as well prepared as Mel was. So. And like you said, you got two alphas, so there's there's not going to be any reasoning. Yeah, and they, it's funny because they used to be such close friends before that all started, and it went sideways. So, but, but when you have a ship, when you have a shipwreck like that, right? Because you're talking about, it, I'm thinking about it. So let's just say you have knowledge of some crazy shipwreck with uh, amazing treasures that are going to be on it. Do you, you know, you go out there, do you say anything to anybody right off the bat? How does that work? Like you, I know where it's at. I know where it's located. I don't want to spread the word too much right away, right? Because I don't want all these other people coming. And then once you get there, then do you file this like, this is my, this is mine, not yours. And how do you protect that? How does that work? This episode is brought to you by Fiji. More than just water. This is not just rock. It's ancient volcanic rock that filters tropical rain, giving it double the electrolytes and its signature soft, smooth taste. It's not just water, it's Fiji water. You know, it's like, again, if you're going to be working a shipwreck and you, you make a claim, you don't tell anybody. Yeah. You only tell the people, and if you're having to apply for a lease in a particular country or state in Florida, so let's say, you only tell the people that you're applying for. You're not going to go out and tell everybody what you got mm-hmm. unless you're trying to raise money, which a lot of treasure hunters do, which is one thing that I'm totally dead set against is raising money, investor money, because it's I've, tr- I've gone down that road and it never ends right. Never. You, you couldn't, even if you did everything in your power and you were doing it right and it just didn't go as planned, the investor's going to get mad and you're going to get sued and they'll even though they're not legally liable or you're not legally liable because of your contractual agreement however people just get mad and most treasure hunters are spending a lot more time in court from you know making pissing investors off or so there's a lot more to it than just applying for a lease and keeping it secret you Stay away from investment money if you can and just do it yourself. Even if you have to do it at a smaller pace and smaller level, if you can do it without borrowing money, because you'll ruin your friendships, your family, and you make a lot of enemies out of people that you just barely know. 
because it's a business that just very rarely turns out the way it should. Even if you find treasure, you, you may not get the division that you were hoping for from the country that you're working in because they ended up turning their back on you. And in a lot of cases that has happened to me and a lot of people I work with where you're working in a country and you have a contractual arrangement with them and you've already raised money, you've got a signed contract, but they won't even honor their contract. And then how do you pay back your investors? Oh, your investors, pay, yeah. your investors are going to blame you. Right. They're, they're going to say you're a liar. Believe, yeah. They're yep. never going to believe what really happened. They're always going to blame you. So I will never borrow money for a shipwreck expedition ever again in my life because I know what can go wrong. Good for you. Only if anybody's out there, listen to Daryl because he knows. Well, unfortunately, there are very few people out there like me who I I don't I don't know anybody who's not raising money for their expeditions. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Maybe one yeah. guy <clears throat> who's good, like me. Good for you. Keep it small because it's just it's just ugh, that's the worst thing is dealing with you know the people that you bring on board because nobody's ever happy. Yeah, so it's yeah. a tough business. It is a business so hard. Uh, first off, no treasure hunters like each other. That's the worst part about it. It's not like there's a brotherhood out there. In some, there's small groups that love each other, but you know, for the most part, they don't like each other. Second, you've got a big uh, academic organization and people like UNESCO and those types of organizations that hate us. Um, then trying to acquire a license and a permit has now become next to impossible mm-hmm. or uh, you have to pay a huge amount of money up front in order to get that permit. Uh, it's just not a business I would recommend anybody get into if you're planning on getting into it now, unless you just want to go out and have fun and dive. Um, it's tough. It's a tough business. This really is not a get rich quick type of business. You either just have to be passionate and love what you're doing. And hopefully you're not spending every last dollar on it because getting rich in this business is far and few between. Yeah, that's why I said, because, you know, maybe somebody's watching this that they're just intrigued by it and they want to do it. So I just wanted to stress, don't borrow money. Like, you know, Daryl, you know, this different guy, if you're doing it, like you said, play around fun, you know, treasure hunt, but do it with your own money. Don't do a GoFundMe because that... I don't know many GoFundMe's that turn out very well, but you know, especially with that, because like you said, when it gets broken down, what do you say to the investors? You know what I mean? That's right. And, and you, it's a business that, you know, look, if you don't enjoy it, it uh, then don't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, because people always ask me, how can I become one? I go, don't. <laughs> Just go, out on the, go out on the weekends, go diving, go look at stuff. Have fun go with it. Dive on, yeah. and, you know, have fun with it. But if you're planning on making a career out of it, there is none. You know, because it's truly, you either have to be worth a billion dollars where it doesn't matter that you're upside down and you're in it for the fun or, or you, you end up borrowing money from people and then you're in debt for the rest of your life and in and out of court and people hate you and, and or you get screwed over by the governments or states or whatever it is. It's a really hard business. 
It's not like it was back in the old days. It's totally different today. When did you notice so. that shift where, you know, the permits were harder now, the, you know, light, everything was more expensive, everything was more of a pain in the ass. When did you really probably, see that? Probably shift? in 1999. Oh, that far back. That's when yeah. it started to get shifted. That's far back for you, young man. Yeah. yeah. Seems like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you look, you look my age, yeah, so yeah. I mean, shit, sorry. <laughs> Sorry, you look 25 <laughs> years younger. <laughs> no, but it, it, yeah, it was about 1999. I started seeing the change, and yeah. then I started realizing, uh oh, this is a change for the worse, and this is getting worse and worse every day. So, like I said, you know, uh, unless you're already grandfathered in, permit wise, it's going to be really difficult. Because I don't like, I like to tell people straight what it's really like, and it's not easy to do. It's not like, oh man, go out there if you love it. Give it your all. No, here's what you're up against. Mm -hmm. It's a freaking hill like this, and you got to push that cart. And it's, it, every time you push it a foot higher, it gets heavier. Somebody throws in another rock. Right. I said, you'll never make it to the top. It's just almost impossible. And then they go, well, I'll give you money if I can die with you. No. No. Mm -hmm. no, no. I'll invite you if I want to. You can come and have fun, but I'm not taking anybody's money anymore. It, My it, dad did that, and he lost his whole life because of uh, that. It sounds like a much less of a shot of becoming successful in what you're doing than any professional sport. And that's like one in a gazillion. Yeah, no, it really is. You know, you when you put it into perspective. making it to pro pro baseball player than you do becoming a professional successful treasure hunter. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of professional treasure hunters out there, and I can tell you how 99% of them are broke yeah. are not making, or are not making money from treasure hunting. Right, you know? right. Now, you got, I think everybody probably listening or watching this podcast has seen the movie The Titanic. And, you know, at the end of The Titanic, the lady throws the, the gem of a crazy diamond yeah. in the water. Is there, though, is there a treasure out there that is, like, the one everybody's searching for, the cream of the crop? Like, this is, where is it? And, man, to get that treasure. Well, everybody thinks there's the Queen's Jewels in uh, the 1715 fleet. A lot of people think that that is never been recovered and so the treasure hunters are out there trying to find that mother load that nobody's ever found in the last 60 years because people have been looking for it for 60 years Damn. uh and then there's um there's a gentleman named carl allen who's looking for this maravillas shipwreck and there's a lot of treasure on that and he's found a lot of good stuff but i can guarantee you he's probably spent more money than he's found in treasure even though he's not not hurting financially mm -hmm. himself um however uh there are those special treasures out there that are out there still but again you know you're up against it's even if you were you're up against actually finding those but you're up against everything else that i just mentioned going broke or in finance uh, uh academic institutions or unesco mm -hmm. NOAA all these other institutions that don't want you out there. So it's, it, I know it sounds horrible and it's probably not what everybody wants to hear, but at least I'm trying to tell it like it is. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah no. And, 
and I respect that. And you're doing a great thing because before somebody goes and dumps their whole life in something that they have a point zero zero one percent and how hard it's getting and you just said maybe three years, five years, maybe, you know? Yeah. I, I had a friend and his uh, friend and his wife knew where a shipwreck was and they tried to get it from the state of Florida. I think that they spent over $150,000 in the application process and got the runaround and ended up losing it, just giving up Ugh, just because, and they, they weren't poor. They had the money to, they could afford to lose 150, but even them, it was like so frustrating for them to, not only was it frustrating to lose 150 grand, but to go through the red tape because every time they, you think you're through the last door, there's like five more at the end of that hallway. And it's like, they're making it impossible for anybody to get leases, especially in the state of Florida. I told you it's a racket. I told you, Darrell, I told you it's a racket down here. Don't let it fool you. It's a racket in this place. It's impossible to get a lease out in the state of Florida. That's why I don't work there anymore as far as treasure hunting permits go, because I don't have the time or patience or even the money I want to spend in it. It would take, it would be 10 years before I even, even somebody who's maybe known like me established, Yeah, you know, you think that I have a way to get it in the inroads to somewhere. No, it's just as hard They just make it hard on me too. You know, it's very difficult. Even if like you offered, because the group that I offered was out of the state of Florida and offered to go work hand in hand with them. And they said, no. Mm-hmm. So even if you offer it to them for free, mm-hmm. they'll still say no, because you're a treasure hunter and they will not be associated with treasure hunters, no matter how honest and forthright you could be. Yeah. That's just the way they are. So, but, but, I, but I question like, so I know what you're telling me like the permit process and all the other red tape and all other shit, but. So they'd rather just leave it out there or they want to uh, yeah. get it for themselves. It- They'd rather that UNESCO believes in what they call in situ preservation in situ where it is, where it lays preservation, but they know it's BS because salt water degradates everything. Name one thing that can survive being dumped in salt water for 400 years. Nothing that I know of. It's called in situ degradation. That's what I call it. They call it in-situ preservation. They know they're just feeding you a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. They just want to use these fancy words, this highbrow attitude (laughs) to keep the public. They make us look like the bad guys, and they're very good at it. They have all the money to throw at it and advertise us Mm -hmm. as the thieves of the world. And And you're disrupting the environment and everything else. That's right. We're ruining the environment, yeah. ruining, killing reefs and the natural <laughs> fauna and fish out there. D- Daryl, Daryl. Meanwhile, Florida's dumping in buckets of trash in the fucking ocean and <laughs> bottles of plastic and batteries and everything else. But now you, you're gonna well, you're gonna destroy the think, environment. Just think what it does for the U.S. government. Okay, and, and look, I get why the U.S. government has to do it in all governments, but when they're testing bombs and stuff. How many times have you, you imagine it, during World War II, they were testing the atomic, atomic bomb. bomb. Yeah. What did that do to the environment? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> did you ever Just see the test run? <laughs> right. Did you, I know you've seen the video. They set it off. Those guys, they don't even know it's going to yeah, go off. Know. And they're like, okay, 
Set it off. We're not quite sure what's going to happen to you guys. Just when it goes off, run. Remember, yeah. it goes off it, and you it, see them all running yeah. and shit. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. You get Shoot all these nukes. environmental. How about the nukes yeah. out of the water? But what about all those animal, all the animal life, and how one eats another, and how they survive, yeah. and the coral? Like what? Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. If you're doing even, you know the. And granted, I'm not putting down the people that do this because Gordon was one of them. But, you know, you do air shows. Everybody's talking about the environment and all that. Just those air shows where the jets are flying the Blue Angels, let's call them. And I'm not, I'm not picking on Blue Angels. Love the Blue Angels. But even something <laughs> like that, how much, what carbon footprint oh, are they leaving during that air show? I don't know. There's quite a bit of a black trail for a while after yeah. one. <laughs> It's not you know white I mean? all the time. Yeah. And, and imagine military exercise, oh, what they're doing. And, the you know, <laughs> it's just laughable because at one end they're saying that you can't drive uh, a gas-powered car, but one flight in a F-18 <laughs> is probably that hour-long flight. It probably put more of a carbon footprint on the planet mm -hmm. than my toyota corona did in you know in the 60s right you know, for and, and, the lifetime of it lasts my first car and the best is this genius idea in california that what all electric by 2035 when there's not even enough to make that many batteries and what do you do with the battery oh, when it dies yeah. what do you do well it destroys. And how about the cobalt that. the cobalt thing yeah too. but you know it's 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 weird how so, the people that push that out there They'll take anything that they know is bad, you know, burning tires or dumping plastics. They ship it off to somewhere else the and say, you see, California, or our state is not doing anything wrong. That's because you shipped it over there to have them do it, yeah. you know. And then, you know, it's like you get somebody else to do the dirty work and then you can always blame them for doing it wrong. But if you did it yourself, it actually would be cleaner than if you had to do it sending it out to a third party to do it it's there we had we had this guy in a <clears throat> do you remember the percentage there's a huge percentage of our trash that we sell to china right and now do you think china cares about it what do you think china does you think that they properly uh take care of it hell no, no, no. they dump it right in the ocean yeah. <laughs> you know i mean look, we yeah. all know the yeah. dirty secrets that's just how it works you got to on the face, we look like we're doing everything by the book. But th what they don't know is the dirty deals that are going behind. Look, get rid of the freaking trash. Let somebody yeah. else handle it. Mm -hmm. Let them take the blame. And that's, it's just the way politics is. Politics is dirty all over the world. It's not just our country. It's everywhere. And it's been like that for since medieval times, you know, going way back. It's no different. Like I said, man hasn't changed. Yep. Pull up uh, uh, Daryl's Instagram. I, again, I, I don't mean to ask you this again, but why why won't they put funding into this? I know it's expensive, but so is all this other dumb shit that they're doing that's pointless. Why why don't they put funding into ocean exploration, like what you're doing? Like, why not work with you? You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. Again, maybe they're, they've got secrets they want to keep. I don't know. And, you know, I'm really, at this point, I've given up on trying to figure them out because it's it's too hard. Yeah. At some it's point, too it's hard. Just, yeah, it, they don't want to work with you, and you, you just, 
you're wasting your time and energy trying to work with them. And this is why I was saying, you know, if you want to be a treasure hunter, I feel bad for people who want to be a treasure hunter. That's me doing the other show that I'm filming, playing right around there with the camera. Click, click on that one. You can get volume. I won't do it. Maybe okay. it'll, sometimes the volume. Sometimes not. Won't do it on this one. Get here a little bit. Okay. So where are you at there, Daryl? I can't say. Uh, <laughs> That's why I'm so sorry. I can't no, tell you good. because if I do, I'm getting in trouble. I will get in trouble. Oh, I, I got you. I got you. Forget it. I, I literally would get in trouble. You're right. You, I forgot. You're you're yeah. working on it right now. I apologize. I even asked you that. I yeah, don't. I don't no do worries. things like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I just can't. No, they would kill me. Completely understand, and again, I apologize. For and that. is this the best way for people who want to follow along uh, to to follow you through yeah, Instagram? Yeah, you know, right now, look, I'm I'm older, and I don't do social media as well as I should. My daughters keep saying, "Dad, you could do so much better." Yeah. And you did it, but yeah, follow me on Instagram, and then uh, there's a Cooper's Treasure fan, a Facebook fan page that. Okay. Uh, a lot of stuff's on there. What's this picture right here? When I click on it, uh, that is me and uh, an undisclosed location. Yeah, a yeah. gold coin. A gold he, coin. He found it. Yeah. Go back up to the top to uh, the link tree because yeah. uh, it has has all the links. And I highly recommend anybody watching this go to your Instagram because there's some cool reels on there. Whew. Uh, this takes us back to his. Uh, uh, I thought that was the LinkedIn. No. Uh, what's the Facebook site? It's called Cooper's Treasure Facebook. Yeah. Okay. It's a Facebook page for Cooper's Treasure. Just Google, go to search engine in Facebook and look up Cooper's Treasure group, group page. What do they call it? Facebook group page. Group it's page. Cooper's yeah. Treasure. Awesome. All right. Yeah. yeah we'll, we'll have all that at the, uh, the top of the description. So out of all the places you've been, what's your... What's your favorite place to go where it's not a complete nightmare? Um, I love where I'm at right now. You know, yeah. I, just, I love Europe. I love Europe. I love, uh, I, you know, I don't have a favorite. I love the Caribbean. Um, there's so many places in the Caribbean as far as diving goes it's, that are just mind-blowing, um, either for treasure or just for recreational diving. Um, but I love traveling the world. That's what I want to do is I want to see all facets of culture and people and food and music and things like that. And that's why I travel a lot. What's your favorite food? Probably Mexican food. Mexican, believe it or huh? not. My wife is Mexican. Um, Mexico City probably has one of the fa most fantastic culinary display of unimaginable delicious food and that in vietnamese food believe it or not i lived in vietnam for a while and vietnamese oh, food good. is amazing amazing but you got to go to vietnam yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i'm, I'm you got to really go there i'm happy in uh puerto Vallarta and take a cab into the city and i will say mexico yeah, like at first you're kind of like whoa but the food is fresh. Yeah. I mean, they kill the damn chicken right there. Like you go to the bathroom and the chicken's right there, and that's what you're about to eat. But it's yeah. fresh as fresh gets. Yeah. Oh yeah, just they're, they're, and there's so many really fantastic different flavors, fusions of food in Mexico. 
beyond your imagination. Beyond. And, but you have to be a foodie. Uh, there are a lot of people, my friends, who are happy with hamburgers and hot dogs and, you know, bar food, but who are, don't really care about that. But you got to really love food. And if you really love food, Mexico and Vietnam are probably my favorites. And how about if you go for a walk in Mexico, like the, the stone sidewalks? It's so awesome at nighttime. They're going to walk. Everybody's nice. They got little stance on everything. It's yeah, just really yeah, cool, yeah. like a little friendly culture. It, it's really yeah, cool. Yeah, very, very amazing culture. Very friendly people, you know. Again, the only thing that ruins anything is probably governments. You know? Yeah, uh, constantly. People, Americans are fantastic people. Our government ruins a lot of things. and. Uh, governments in every country seem to take away all the cool things that uh, countries really have going for them because the Mexican culture is fantastic. Uh, American culture in a lot of different places is fantastic. Uh, European culture, Egyptian culture, uh, Asian culture. It's just the governments that ruin everything. And, you know, I hate to sound like the but is government. It, but it's true, yeah, though. Not, they ruin, yeah, it. Not, they, they yeah, ruin everything and then they put a divide in. So then Mexico doesn't like whoever or whatever because of the border. That's got nothing to do with anything. Mexico is an awesome place. There's bad places there like everywhere else. I've been there yeah. plenty of times, and I've never had any problems, you know. Yeah. And, and I went down, a wrong, I went down I a wrong road a few times, too, by the way, Daryl. <laughs> yeah, but you could go down a yeah. wrong road in New York or L.A. Same thing. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I remember asking Gordon one time, and I got to get going, guys. Sure, Just sure. Here. But – Gordon, I asked Gordon, I said, what was one of the favorite things about flying in space? And he goes, looking down at the earth and not seeing any borders. And he goes, it was amazing how beautiful the earth is without all the lines that they have on the maps. Wow. I, well, with that being said, I'll get Rob's got I, one I just more. Got one that, last, that, that would have been a killer ending, Rob. What is uh, it? <laughs> one last quick question. Uh, you've all the years of your explorations and, and amazing things that you've found. What's that one piece that you were that was that was it that was awesome that was the coolest thing you've you've found over to you to, to you personally. personally my wife oh that's a good answer buddy that's a good fucking <laughs> she's now standing know, there isn't now she now i know she why you're married <laughs> now i know why you're yeah. married so long that's good i'm putting that down in my notes <laughs> no I, I i i always say that and it's true um but my favorite historical artifact that i found was a mayan pendant that uh, a high priestess must have worn made of gold uh, and it sank on a 400 year old shipwreck. So I was found the shipwreck looking for a shipwreck, found silver and gold coins on it, and then found that Mayan pendant still intact there because normally the Spanish would have destroyed it or melted it down. But whoever was on that Spanish shipwreck, part of that crew loved that piece and didn't destroy it. So that that artifact was 1200 years old. So it was an 800 year old antique at the time that boat sank 400 years ago. So that was pretty damn cool. Daryl, now, like when when you hold that or look at that, I can't imagine what goes through your mind. You know, you, know, you, you have to look at that and wonder, like, who wore this? What what was going on? Like, that's just yeah, got to be I, so, such a mind yeah, screw <laughs> kind of, you know, yeah. after a while. It, it is. I always wanted to wear it, but I just couldn't do it. I, I, um, I understand. Cause you, cause couldn't you, do it because I just felt like it was stolen property. At, at, because of what you do, right? There's, yeah. there's an emotion to it, and you don't know who it was, what it meant. So I would assume being someone like you that, that is very professional with this, 
you don't know, so you don't want to disrespect yeah. the, the piece. Because I'm sure I can almost guarantee that whoever that belonged to did not give it up because they wanted to give it to mm. whoever sank on that ship. Right. And that's respectable. Daryl, yeah. you're, you're a hell of a guy, man. Yeah. Please, you got to come back on so you can tell me whatever the hell it is you're working on and, uh, okay. you know, with, with yeah, the I'd Secret Service or something. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, no i don't work with the secret oh, I, service but i know yeah no i will i'll definitely make an announcement if people follow me on my instagram and uh, uh the cooper's treasure group facebook page follow us there i'll be doing more social media as time goes on and progresses and the new show comes out and uh, i'll keep everybody posted but it's going to be pretty damn cool it has nothing to do with what we have been talking about tonight oh. in any aspect oh ah. rob you yeah. better you better get in his ass yeah. as soon as we yeah. as soon as he wakes up tomorrow and get him scheduled again <laughs> yeah it's pretty cool all right daryl you stay safe keep doing what you're doing uh i respect right. you so much and what you're doing thank you for your time and congratulations on a great family and kids and everything else all right thanks guys it was nice an honor to speak you. with you sir all right you take care, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Growing up, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid. But as I got older, started working out, I had to watch out for sugar and empty carbs. Magic Spoon has the amazing flavors you'll love, but high protein and less sugar. The variety pack, four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five net grams of carbs, only 140 calories per serving. It's high protein, zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. The fruity one, I'm done for. I can eat the whole box, no problem. Go to magicspoon.com MSCS to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use promo code MSCS at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. That says something. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash MSCS and use the code MSCS to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. This podcast is brought to you by Monster Energy. Tear into a can of the meanest energy drink on the planet, Monster Energy. It's the ideal combo of the right ingredients in the right proportion to deliver a big bad buzz that only Monster can. Monster packs a powerful punch, has a smooth, easy drinking flavor. Athletes, musicians, co-eds, road warriors, metalheads, geeks, hipsters, and bikers dig it. You will too. Monster Energy is more than just the green OG. Monster has Monster Ultra. Juice Monster, Monster Hydro, Rehab Monster, Dragon Tea, Monster Max, Muscle Monster, and many more. Buy on Amazon, buy on Walmart, or go to MonsterEnergy.com and believe me, you'll find a place. Unleash the Beast, Monster Energy. In medicine, we do have laws. You I mean, we have various laws of acid-base balance that we can rely on. There are laws of, uh, of thermodynamics. In, med in cardiology, we rely on 
various principles of physics. You know, for instance, we, we rely on the Doppler principle is very important, which is the, the direction of blood flow and velocities. I think your IQ might be too tall. Yeah, he's so. pretty smart. <laughs> but in medicine, we, you know, medicine is one of the coolest, funnest, professions you know most doctors have no hobbies you know like we don't need one yeah. we have such an interesting field if you ever go to these hospitals and go to grand rounds which is our big you know weekly review of a particular case there'll be doctors who are not in their 90s coming in on walkers it's like why are you coming here you're 90 years they'll old they'll be dead if they don't no well, well yeah. they got to keep going yeah. right partly yeah. they want to keep going but partly because it's so interesting hhs has spent a billion dollars in long COVID. they found nothing i'm not going to sit on my hands anymore and say oh i'm going to wait for the government to tell me what to do. Mm. People have blood cuts, they're having cardiac arrest, they're having problems now. We're gonna kick butt base spike detox. The reason why it's the base is you can add other things. People say, well, what about natokinase? What about ivermectin? What about, <laughs> fine, add it to the base. But at the base, let's take care of the spike protein and let's pray that the human body can get rid of this messenger RNA. We still haven't proven that yet. People will take these shots, we're not sure if we can get rid of it. <sighs> Two thirds of the world's took a shot. <laughs> and then they're still pushing it. Yeah, like everything's it. okay. Like everything's okay. And I ask people about it that have gotten like five. Well, I trust my doctor. I have faith in my doctor. You know how many times I've heard that? Probably a thousand do, times. Do you know I've written the American College of Cardiology and some other cardiologists in my group. We wrote them. Say, listen, this is fatal now. We have clear autopsy proven fatal myocarditis autopsy proven i said american college of cardiology in the fall of 2022 has a statement saying oh uh, uh there's risks and benefits but the benefits of the vaccines outweigh the risks i told him i said listen you better revisit that better change your guidance i said people are dying the vaccines didn't make the illnesses go away and my family came over from ireland 1870s do you know what took out the irish early on Strep, strep, strep throat. throat. Do you know oh, my yeah. great grandmother died of Bright's disease, which is she died at age 32 after 10 kids. Wow, with 10. yeah, 10 kids, and she died of kidney failure due to post-streptococcal so, glomerulonephritis. Wow. My grandfather, my dad's dad, uh, died of rheumatic heart disease. Again, strep throat. We don't have strep throat problems anymore. You know why? Because we have antibiotics. The good thing about Trump is when he says something different, he doesn't flip flop. He, he, he doesn't. He goes, I would never mandate these. And think about a world where the vaccines were never mandated. Optional. Yeah. If they were never mandated, would we be in this predicament? No, absolutely not. No. Very different. Nope.